you'd turn with me to Romans chapter 12, this morning I'm going to be um, again looking at verse 2, we'll read verses 1 through 2. Last week we looked specifically at the means of transformation, um, the renewing of our mind, uh, that thing which the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. Uh, This week, we're going to look at the other side of the coin, and we're going to look at the um, inhibitors of the transformation. So let's, let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Father, thank you for your creation. Father, as as we, as I discussed with my one of my brothers this morning, um, what what beauty in your creation! How we might look at it and and stand in awe, not of the creation, Father, but of you, the Creator. And so, Father, this morning, as we appreciate the the beautiful days that we've been given. Um, Father, they're but a gift from an uncomprehensibly good giver. So, Father, this morning, let us focus upon you, the giver of all good gifts. And Father, as we think of you as the giver of gifts, Father, it, it can't escape our mind of the gift you have given us to redeem us to you. Father, the gift that we could never earn, the gift that we could never deserve, you freely give to all who would turn to you and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, as those who have done that, who have turned from their sin and trusted in Christ, Father, we read your word that your desire is to daily make us more like you. That our very nature is being changed. And Father, as we pondered last week, the means of that change, which ultimately is your word. And Father, this week, as we look at the inhibitors of this change, all those things ultimately would distract us from your word. Father, help us to understand. Father, we know that that change ultimately is from you. And so, Father, today we renounce all dependence upon ourselves. And, Father, we we cling to you. We need you, Father. Father, draw our hearts today. Let Let our hearts not be hardened with our own pride, but let our pride be broken, Father, that we might come to you humbly. For, Father, your word says you resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Father, we need grace today. Help us to hear your word. Help us to not be distracted by our flesh. And make us more like you, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, as we come to the Word of God, the very words that He has given to us, um, not simply the words that man has written down and um, man has preserved, but the very Word of God is before us. The very Word that God Himself has preserved. 
that evil men through history have tried to destroy it. Evil men have tried to put it out. They've tried to erase it. And yet today, the Word of God stands before us. Let's look again at at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God, last week we, we looked, that God accomplishes this transformation in your life that transformation to be made more like Him, that transformation that that we pray and that that God um, desires and accomplishes in all those who are are truly His, that are the day that we pass from this life uh, to the life to come, that we will be the most like Christ that we've ever been in our entire life. And in fact, on that day, it's as if we, uh, when we're born again, we begin this, this journey down this road, and we travel it, and, and we come through hard times where God conforms us more and more like Him. And then each of us in this room will come to a day where God will say, you've traveled enough down this road, I'm just going to pick you up and take you to the finish line. We never reach perfection. Yet, in, through sanctification, we continue to get closer and closer and closer until God grabs us and delivers us from this flesh. As we're on this path, God accomplishes this transformation through the renewal of your mind. Um, your mind is renewed by the Spirit and by the Word of God. For those who neglect the Word of God, um, we, we, we talked last week that it's as if we are asking God to make bricks and not provide the straw. Now, uh, understand again, God is completely responsible, or the, the Holy Spirit is completely responsible for changing us. Um, our, but He chooses to use the means of the Word of God. He chooses, the way that He chooses to operate in that is that He uses the Word of God as we, we read it, as we study it, as we encourage each other with it, as we sing it, as we, um, um, we celebrate it, as we remember it. Um, continually, that the Holy Spirit then uses those things to change us to be more like Christ. In fact, um, to bring this even to into evangelism, after after I was it was getting close to time, um, I I really felt like one of the means of grace that God gives us to make us more like Christ is also evangelism. And I I I I figured if I added that on, that we were going to be here for a couple of hours. So I ultimately decided to save that for another day. But evangelism is another way in which God renews our minds. And so often in American Christianity, we most, or seemingly most inside of the church, never evangelize because they they make these excuses that, well, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. I don't know um, even what to do. And for those who diligently study the Word of God, if you um, are one of those who are, are devoted to studying the Word of God, and then you push yourself and you get beyond this fear of sharing your faith, what you will soon find is that when you're sharing your faith, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind those verses, those, those parts of Scripture that are needed for that time. Um, uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the book by Corey Tenboom, um, Barb, Barb shares this often, but um, she asks her dad about what it would be like, you know, how would, she, how would she know that she would have the faith to do what's right in, in spite of persecution? And her dad gives her this illustration. She says, when do you get a train, or when do you get a ticket to get on a train? You don't get it until you're at the train station, until you're about ready to board the train. And so as when you need, um, uh, need empowered by God to, to fulfill what God's called you to do, very often He doesn't give you what you need until you need it. 
And sometimes that means going to the train station with just faith that I'm going to get a ticket when I get there. And so with evangelism, sometimes, or most of the time, if we're to be um, uh, obedient to the Word of God, if we're to be obedient in evangelism, we must trust that when the time comes for someone to ask me a question, that God will give me the ability to answer that. Or the ability to humble myself and say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find it and I'll get back to you. The problem, though, in American Christianity is we so neglect the Word of God that the Holy Spirit has nothing in our heads to use. And so we, we come to a situation where we're bankrupt. There's, when we, we go to the bank and we, we need some money, we, we tell the teller, hey, I, I need to, today there's something special going on. There's the, the trip to the pumpkin patch and I'm going to need a bunch of pumpkins and so I need $50. And the teller gives you $50 and you go get your pumpkins. I don't, don't spend, do what you want. I'm not to tell you what to do with your money. But what if we had nothing in the bank? And then we say, I I need $50. And then we have the embarrassment of of being in front of those around us when the teller says, "Uh, sir, you don't have $50. And so often that is our problem in evangelism. That's why part of what contributes to why we're terrified. It's not so much that I I I don't know the answer to every question. Now, some of you that come to the prayer time, you might have been fooled. (laughs) I don't know the answer to every question. I don't know. There's sometimes where I've been asked questions on the street that I don't even know how to formulate a response. There's been times on the street where I've told people, I've never thought of that before, and I I don't want to just make something up. But there's been other times where they've asked me a question, and I've said, I've never thought of that before. But these verses are coming to my head. These studies are coming to my mind. And I'm able to formulate a response, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit drew from the bank, from the deposits I put into that bank. And I went down a rabbit trail, Dave. So let's come back. So our mind is renewed by the Spirit and by the Word of God. If we bankrupt our mind of the Word of God, the Spirit chooses to use that to transform us. And he, what He chooses to use to transform us, we um, leave Him without anything to work with. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, 20-24. It says, but that, but that is not the way you've learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The thing to understand when we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 1, is that this is written for Christians. This is written for those who are truly born again. There is no such thing as an unborn again Christian. You guys hear that? There is no such thing as an unborn again Christian. If you are not born again, you may go to church, you may read your Bible, you may may, um, be the guy in town that everybody says he's a good guy, but you are not a Christian. The Bible says over and over, to be a Christian means we have a new nature. We have a new heart. We, we put off our old self, and we begin to put on this new self, this new heart that God has given us. Now, to understand this better, uh, we have to come back and understand who we are before Christ. Um, so, for, for many, many years... And I, um, I'm very much um, indebted to this man whom God has used to um, 
used to bring me to the word, that the Holy Spirit has renewed my mind. Um, This uh, small man, Ray Comfort, has taught me much about scripture. But one thing that I never understood, and, and if you've, you've heard me before, you've heard me how I talk to people maybe on the street or at Walmart or, or even in my sermons, you'll see so often, and even one of the questions this morning in, in the, not Sunday school, but in the prayer time, was um, about the rich young ruler and how Jesus took him to the law. And this is a concept that I never saw before in Scripture until I came across Ray Comfort's ministry. And so uh, with that, to biblically uh, share the gospel with someone, I understand that I must take them to the law to see who they are in truth. Not in who we think we are through our pride-filtered glasses, but who we are in truth. And as we come to the law, we ask the questions, have you ever told a lie? And everybody in here should say, yes, we've told a lie. And the next question that, that we would go through is, what does that make you? It makes you a liar, right? Um, usually I get you to say that, so that way when you say you're judging me, I'll say, you're the one confessing to all this stuff, you're saying it. Um, but here's the, this is what, and this isn't nothing wrong with this way of doing things, but this is what I didn't understand for a long time. See, the, the, the legal formality is this. If you've committed a crime, you're a criminal. If you've lied, you're a liar. If you've stolen, you're a thief. Right? If you've committed adultery, you're an adulterer. If you've hated your brother... You're a murderer, Scripture says. But here's where the disconnect comes, or came for me for a long time. I saw this as, if you've done this, then you are this. But that's actually opposite what it is. All right? I know this is, this is a little confusing. That's opposite of what actually is true. What is true is this. You're a liar, therefore you lie. You're a thief, therefore you steal. We find this in the fall of the Garden of Eden. We're all born into sin. We are all born with this nature. We don't become a liar, the first lie that we tell. We tell the first lie that we tell because we are a liar. It is our very nature. And that nature is is the very contradiction to who God is. So, in essence, if I'm not born again, I'm this guy. If you're not born again, you are this guy. If you're not born again, when we go to Revelation and it says that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, there is no amount of goodness you can do. You are a liar. Your heart is not changed. And no matter how much Religious, how many religious things we can do, no matter how many times we can walk the aisle of a church, no matter how many times we take communion or be baptized or, or pray this or that prayer, if God doesn't give you a new heart, you will be judged for who you are. And God will judge you rightly and He will judge you fairly. In His right, fair judgment, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. If you're not born again today, you should tremble in fear. You should be much afraid of the future. You should agree with um, Ecclesiastes when it says to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Take advantage. You should should agree with this culture that says you only live once. But I can tell you this morning, it is a lie from the pit of hell. The very place you're going to go to if you don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ. If he doesn't change your heart. If he doesn't give you this new heart that desires him. That is the born again experience. Your very nature changes. Romans 2 was written to those who have new hearts. 
And that's why it says, don't be conformed to this world. Conformed means to change your outside to fit in with, with, with what you're around. Transformed is, um, the Greek word is uh, connected to our word metamorphosis. Like when a butterfly comes out of a cocoon, you're a different creature. You're a different creation. Transformed means you are just becoming more and more of your new nature. The warning, though, is this. As we go into the, those things that inhibit transformation, as we go into those things that, that conform us to this world, we have to ask the question, if there's so much conforming going on that we don't see any transformation, we have to ask, has the metamorphosis happened at all? If I am completely like the world, perhaps I'm not, I don't have a new nature. And so as we go through some of these things this morning, understand this. It's not about doing it better. If your heart is not changed, you will not be able to do this better. You'll be extremely frustrated. You'll be extremely stressed because... You simply can't. You can't change. Only God can save you. If you examine yourselves as the scriptures tells us to do, and you find that, that there isn't a new nature in me at all, the response is to repent and draw near to Christ. Plead with Him. Plead with Him to change you. To change your heart. To give you this new nature. To give you this nature that ultimately is um, a child of God, an adopted child of God. If you're born again today, the question isn't, am I going to heaven or not? If you're born again, you're a child of God. It's already settled. Amen? Someone who sees that their heart has changed, you have great comfort this morning because you will still struggle with these things. I, when we get to them, I, I will stomp on your feet very hard today, just as I've stomped on my own. But if your heart has changed and it desires to be more like Christ, you have assurance today. But this morning, if you examine your heart and you say it's not changed, it's, it's just like the world. It's just like those whom I go to work with or go to school with. You have much to be fearful for. So let's look at Romans 12.2 again. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In this verse, we have two principles that are at odds. It's confirmation, or not confirmation, maybe, confirmation versus transformation. That sounds weird now that it comes out of my mouth. It's either you're being conformed or you're being transformed. It's two ends of the spectrum. It's one direction or the other direction. You'll notice in this verse, it says, don't be conformed to this world. This world, and we, we defined this once before, this Greek word, it actually means this world or this evil age. It's a particular stage of history understood according to its values, beliefs, and morals in distinction to God's. So often when I share the gospel with people, um, and you, you get into these things that which 50 years ago we would have all agreed that they were heinous perversions, and in our culture today that's completely flip-flop, that you are now the bigot because you think this way, um, the, the excuse they use so often is this, is that times have changed. Now, these are different days than they were when they wrote the Bible. And I will say, you are exactly right. And the Bible addresses that very idea that when it says, don't be conformed to this world, it actually means don't be conformed to this evil age, this age right now. The values and beliefs and morals that we find in our culture that our culture thinks has progressed, but actually has fallen away immensely. 
Don't be conformed to these ideas. So in living our lives, how can we tell the difference between doing the things the way this evil age does them or doing the things the way God tells us to do them? How can we know the difference? Because a big problem is this, that each of us, we spend every waking hour in the age we live in. Nobody in here, including Brody, has a time machine, so you're stuck here, Brody. You're, You're in this age. And when you live inside of something, it has a way of deceiving you. When you, um, for instance, if, if you lived with a dad who went fishing almost every single day, you begin to think everybody goes fishing every single day. You begin to think everybody knows how to tie a lure on a line. Right? It's, it's something that when we surround ourselves by... Whatever we're surrounded by, we begin to think that is normal. In fact, this morning, if you would just go to a different church, you would notice very quickly what they do differently than what we do here. Because you would say, well, that's not normal. right? Imagine if you went to, to a church and, and everybody brought a balloon and popped them at a certain point. You'd be like, those people are weird. Nobody does that in church. They probably shouldn't, but I don't know the reasoning for it. But to those people, what do you mean you don't pop a balloon during church? Right? It's whatever we surround ourselves in, we begin to think is normal. And, and you and I have grown up in this age. We're surrounded by everything that this age does and we begin to think it's normal. So how do we know the difference? How do we know if we're being deceived or if we're doing things the way God wants us to do them? It's easy. The only thing we have is the Word of God. So once again, we come back to this. If we want our minds to be transformed, we have to come back to the Word of God. We can't go to human reasoning. We can't go to human logic. We can't go to anything except for the Word of God. John MacArthur, in his commentary, he says, The renewed mind is one saturated with and controlled by the Word of God. Is your mind saturated? Are your decisions determined by the Word of God? The way you lead your family, is it determined by the Word of God? The things that you do on the weekend, the the place that you work at, is it determined by the Word of God? Or is it determined by human logic? Is it determined by what the neighbors do? Is it determined by everybody you know what they do? These are deceptions that we fall into easily into because we live inside of this world. The Bible says we're we're aliens. We're sojourners in a foreign land. And so often through the Old Testament with um, different stories, we find that when the Israelites would go and live amongst a foreign people, it didn't seem like it was very long before they were doing the very things that God hated. Yet we find ourselves as foreigners in a strange land. But for many years, our guard has been let down. Because um, preachers and, and people in the pews cared more about culture than they did the Word of God, we have very strangely um, skewed what it is to be a Christian. This morning, our desire should be this, that our mind is renewed, that it's saturated and controlled by the Word of God. That very thing is what renews our mind. That's what the Holy Spirit uses to transform us, to be people who glorify God, who, who ultimately are people who are salt and light to those around them. In the past many years, the American church in general has done whatever it could take whatever it seemingly could do to, to dull our saltiness and to, to hide our light so that people might be comfortable around us. 
It has been devastating to the church in America. Understand that. It has been devastating. So this morning, if our desire is this transformation, what inhibits this transformation? What is it that that, that thing that has inhibited us for so long in America, what is it that's inhibiting us? The first thing that we have to look at, that, that thing that inhibits us, is to be conformed, to understand it, is to be conformed to this world. How are we being conformed to this world? To be conformed is to take on an outward expression that doesn't reflect what's really inside. If we're born again, to be conformed means to hide our saltiness. It means to hide the light that's within us. So how are we being conformed? The question has to be, what are we filling our minds with? What are, what are we renewing our minds with? I know we've went through some of these things before, but I would ask this morning to, to really think about these things. The first is media. American media consumption per day on average is 292.6 minutes. That's almost four hours. So if, if uh, the, the statistics, if they are correct, and if we um, could apply them to everyone in this room, if you are living just as the average American lives, you're spending almost four hours a day consuming media. What, what different types of media are there? The TV. Every time you turn the TV on, or, or almost every time you turn it on, you are getting a secular worldview. We, um, I was talking to, to Carol this morning about this, that, that um, she was a teacher for, for many, many years, and I said, what people don't understand is the, the public school system is getting progressively and rapidly worse. And I said, for instance, and I, I made this up, but I've seen lots of examples even when your child is at math, they're getting math questions like this. Um, the, the starving minority guy has one apple, and the rich white man has 10,000 apples. How many more apples does the rich man have? Right? And I'm, I, am, I believe God created us all equal. Right? I believe that God has, I don't believe that God sees skin color. I, don't, I, I believe that we should help those who are hurting. But this is more than that. It's a mindset. It's something we're being programmed with. Even when your child goes to math, they're being programmed. They're being taught how to think. They're not being taught. Uh, our, in our school system today, we debate on whether one plus one equals two. We, that's something we can't figure out. But we can figure out how to put our secular mindset into it. When you turn the TV on, you're getting the same mindset. It's repeated over and over to you. It's even to the point where we, there was, oh, last year or so, maybe the year before, we found this channel on our antenna, um, Probably most of you know what it is. I can't think of what it's called. Anyway, every night at 6 or 7, Andy Griffith comes on. Andy Griffith is a good show for the most part. But you know what? It didn't take long for me to say, we can't watch this because these commercials are horrible. Even to try to watch something good, my kids are being programmed by the commercials. It is intentional. And it's working. It works well in our country. Part of our political divide, part of why we can't agree on anything, is because we are programmed. We're programmed to fight with each other. We're programmed with this worldview. How about music? Most songs we put on have a secular worldview. When I was younger, I... I... I struggle, I'll be honest, I struggled with trying to stop listening to country music. 
I, I made fun of my dad all the time when I was a kid. I was not a good kid, right? I didn't honor my father. The thing that I made fun of him about is he listens to these, the same music he listened to when he was in school. Like, don't these songs ever get old to him? And yet there's something in me that keeps saying, I sure wish I could listen to some Garth Brooks today. It's not all that bad. And you might even say, it's not all that bad. But listen to the lyrics of, think through the lyrics of his songs. Not all of them. Most of us say, well, I just like the the song. Yep, but the word that's being, the lyrics are still going into your mind. You're still thinking about, you get the point. I know my brother Greg and I, Greg has struggled with this, even in Christian music. It's to the point where I don't know what to listen to. And that was my question. I, I, Greg blessed us with a great sermon here a month or so ago. And at the end of it, I, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. Like, I, I, wish he could, I wish he could go to every church in America and just preach that sermon and get stuff thrown at him and get thrown out. Thank God we're, we're not doing that here. But at the end of it, I asked him, so I have this problem. I asked myself, what, what do I listen to? And his answer is the same one that I almost have to come to the conclusion, nothing. Listen to good books. <laughs> listen to preaching. Amen. I'm not saying, yeah. Even in Christian music, we have this problem of a secular worldview. How about when you send your child to school? Understand this. If your child goes to school, goes to the public school in our day, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you're, um, I'm not saying it's the end of the world if they do this, but I want you to think about these things. If when they graduate high school, if your child has went to public school and graduated, they've had 18,720 hours of secular thought put into them. That's what their mind has received. If they go on to get a four-year degree, they'll have an additional 5,760 hours. And if they get their master's degree after that, an additional 2,880 hours. Now, by the time they graduate high school, if they went to church every single Sunday and not missed even one Sunday, if you're depending on this renewing of the mind to come from church, if they've not missed even a single Sunday, they've received 1,404 hours of Hopefully, Scripture. In lots of churches in America, that's not even true. So let's just say they don't go to college, and they go to they go to church every Sunday. They're having eighteen thousand, almost nineteen thousand hours of secular thought versus roughly fifteen hundred a Bible. It will not work. The reason I hit on this all the time is because it will not work. You will end with heartache. You will end with devastation. Now how about when the children aren't at school? Or how about when you and I aren't at work? We have our friends. If our, if our best friends are not um, solid believers in Christ... Even more hours go to secular thought. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Young people, who are your friends? It's not wrong to have a non-Christian friend, but they should never be your best friends. And they shouldn't be where you spend the most of your time with. You need to find true born-again friends and Spend time with them. Be encouraged with them. Find a friend that loves you enough that 
to exhort you when you need exhorted. Find a friend that loves you enough to spend time discussing Scripture with you and not what the pretty girl in the next class is doing. That's about all we talked about when I was a teenager. How about your free time? There's all kinds of things our culture does with its free time. We have sports and and all these things that take us away from the Word of God. We spend all of our time doing these things. Even to even to go into go into my world. There's there's fishing and hunting and, and just all these things that can consume my time. And this morning understand that God wants us to enjoy life. He he wants us to enjoy some sports and have fun and different things. And so often when we start to talk about these things, many people start to go into, well, we have to have moderation. As long as, as, long as it's in moderation, it's okay. And I agree with you. If it's in moderation, um, many things are okay. If it's in moderation, even um, watching the Pilgrim's Progress cartoon is okay. I picked that because nobody can get on me for that. <laughs> In moderation, many things are okay. The problem is, is because our minds are conform- have conformed so much, we don't have even an understanding of what moderation is. Public school plus media, and not even add in the friends, we have 45,000 hours of training in church, in 18 years, we might have 1,400. That's not moderation. That's not even close. Everything around us says to conform. What is moderation? I would tell you that moderation is if I do anything more then the time I spend filling my head with the Word of God, it's not in moderation. It doesn't matter if I go, if I play disc golf for an hour today. If I only spent 10 minutes in the Word of God this morning, that disc golf was not moderation. It was extremely not moderation. Now to go back to, I'm not trying to preach all day. To go back to the internet, I want you to be aware this morning. When you go onto the internet, when you go onto social media, how many of you pay a subscription to Facebook? Pay like 25 bucks a month? Nobody? How come? Facebook has to have tons of servers. Servers are crazy expensive. They had to pay people. Roquette paid me to sit and just watch their servers to make sure they don't break. They had to have, and Facebook has tons more servers than Roquette has. They're paying all kinds of people. The the Facebook guy, what his name? He's, lots, he's always on the news because he's got lots of money and somehow that means you can talk about medical stuff and all kinds of things and people should listen to you because you have lots of money. So if you don't give them money, how are they paying their bills? You guys know? Through commercials and ads. And the thing with commercials and ads is the longer they can get you to stay on your computer, the more commercials and ads they get you to watch. The more commercials and ads they get you to watch, the more money they make. So, not just Facebook, most of the internet, Google, all these people, they study you intently. They know things about you that you don't know about you. They can tell by where you're clicking at things on the screen and how fast you're scrolling and how fast you're reading things. They can tell by that if you're getting ready to be done. 
And then they, once they see that you're ready to be done, they pop up things or, or put things up that will then re-engage you and draw you back in. They study how to control you. And they are so good at it that in a very short time we will find that they will be able to get a majority of the population to do almost anything they want. They're studying your mind. Do you know one, one way that they keep you engaged, and I'm not going to go forever in this, but I really want you to hear this. One way they keep you engaged is they figure out who you are and they give you, uh, let's just say this morning, Democrat versus Republican. This morning, if you're a Republican, your, your computer knows this. When you do a Google search for the identical thing that the Democrat searches for, it's completely different results. The results are tailor-made to keep you engaged. And so what they do, if you're a Republican, um, you start to doze off a little bit. They see that... Carol's getting tired of this computer stuff. And all of a sudden it pops up. The Democrats are framing Trump. And Carol says, I have to click that. Right? And I'm not, I don't know that. I'm not picking on Carol. I like Carol. But here's, here's the deal. To keep you engaged, it must become more and more extreme. Right? To keep the guy that you work with that you think is crazy because he's on the other end of the spectrum, to keep him engaged, it has to be more and more extreme. And everything that he searches for, the, the de- Democrat, he searches for something on Google, and he's surrounded by Trump is the craziest and stupidest guy in the entire world. And then you, or whatever, if you're a Republican and you search you come up with, all of your results are, the Democrats are the most evil and craziest people in the world. Why? Not because they're trying to create division. They want you to stay on the computer. In essence, though, it's greatly creating division. And when people spend hours a day having their mind renewed with this, it's no wonder where we are in America but it's also no wonder where we are in the church. You're being controlled. You're being deceived. We're spending hours a day on social media. And we're spending 10 minutes in the Word. See, once, once I understood this, I honestly broke down in tears because I have hated the person on the other side. And I can't understand how they can even think this way. Why? Because I'm surrounded always with this point of view. I assume that when I Google something, they get the same results. They do not. They don't know half of what I know. And I don't know half of what they know. And we each look at each other and say, you're crazy. Can I tell you the solution? You already know the solution. We have to shut it off. We have to do as Eric Suter said so many times. He says, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Not playing. And I know, I, listen, I know, I, I thought about computers since I was a kid. I... I wanted to be like Mr. Computer. In my, in my high school senior prophecy, there's no prophets, but they call it that. They said I was going to own the Campbell Computer Corporation. I was going to take out Microsoft. I know the draw of the computer. But friends, we either have to severely limit it or we have to shut it off. It has so distracted us from Christ. It's so distracted us from what we're really here for. It's so distracted us from eternity. 
Children can't even read books anymore. Because I look at them and say, oh, they're boring. Do you know why the books are boring? They don't have supercomputers studying you to keep you engaged. And once you have participated long enough in this culture of studying you to keep you engaged, everything else seems boring. And let me, I know we're, we're going long. I would, I would encourage you parents, if nothing else, if you take nothing else from this, teach your kids to read books. I've went down this trail too. I've made this mistake. Because I... Have you guys ever seen a Kindle? I have like a whole library room I can take with me in my tent. It's so amazing. But where I never thought through was that if all of my books are on a device that are digital... All the government has to do is say, we don't like Romans 12.2. And they go on their computer and they change it. Teach your kids to love books. I mean, love Christ. Teach your kids to have books. They can't change the text in my Bible because I have it. Right? They're not, they can't break in, they maybe could. They're not going to break into every one of our houses and change our Bibles. But it only takes them a second to change a digital book. One of the things, and this really isn't, has nothing to do with the Word of God, but one of the things, um, uh, that documentary called The Social Dilemma, one of the things that just pulled my heartstrings at the end was here were people who were very high up. They were um, the, the CEO of Pinterest and all these different people who were gathered together to discuss uh, social media and these different things. And the final question to them was this. Would you let your kids have social media? And every one of them except one said absolutely not. The, the, the Apple guy, who's his name? Steve, Steve Jobs. In one of his statements, he would never let his kid have an iPad. These people who are making all this money off of this computer stuff, they don't let their kids have it. The one guy that did let his kids have it um, had a severe limit. They had like 15 minutes a day. And that really, I mean, it pulled up my strings, but in reality, we have to come back to Romans 12 too. What, what is my mind being renewed with? Is there moderation? Am I spending as much time in the Word of God as I am everything else? We find, found the same thing happen inside the church in the last 20 to 30 years. We decided that we knew the problem to why people were falling out of the church, why um, you know, the church numbers were going down, and so we started to conform. Think of what youth ministry is. Now just think of the concept of youth ministry. We hire a youth pastor who then starts the youth group, and the youth group is comp- composed or comprised of um, still maybe looking at the Word of God, but we're going to conform, hear the word? We're going to conform everything else to appeal to what our children like. In essence, we're going to conform it to what the world likes. I'm, here's my thumbs pointing at this guy. When I was a youth pastor, our youth group was a combination of fear factor and a short message. And I would go to the district meetings and I would sit down with other youth pastors and I would brag about how I got some 13-year-old boy to puke because he was eating a a Big Mac that was blended up in a blender. (laughs) What is wrong with us? 
We thought we could get people by conforming. We didn't go to the word of God. We didn't say, what does the word of God say? How we should minister to youth. We gave God our better ideas. In Colossians 2, 6 through 8. It says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies and empty deceit, according to human tradition. Hear that. See that no one takes you captive by philosophies and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Are we making our decisions based off of what the world does? Are we making them based off of the Word of God, according to Christ? Is that how do we spend our time? Is it according to what the world does? Or is it according to Christ? See, the problem in America today isn't the politics. It's not the judges. It's that the church thought that it could be okay with God and still live like the world. It's rendered our evangelism useless. It's rendered our lives useless. It's rendered our churches nearly useless. It's turned them into places where people gather, usually just older people, gather once a week so that they can check their box and get back to their life. This is not the church of Christ. This is not a gathering together of those who have new hearts, those who desire Christ above all. This morning, if we love our families, if we love our country, if we love Christ, we must have our minds renewed. We must have new hearts that desires Christ above all. I'll end with John MacArthur's quote again. He says, The renewed mind is one saturated with and controlled by the word of God. I pray that that is you and I. I pray that that's us, my brothers and sisters. Let us not be deceived. Amen. Let's pray. Father, look back, Father, on the things that I've done. There is so much shame within me, Father. Father, we pray this morning that you would renew us. That you would draw us. God, as we come to these very uncertain times, that we would be salt and light, that we wouldn't hide, we wouldn't hide our light, that we wouldn't be deceived by the schemes of the enemy. Father, help us, we pray. Father, if there are those here who examine their selves and they find that they may not have a new heart, Father, I pray that you would draw them. What does this world have to offer us, Father? It has nothing to offer. 
Help us to come to our senses that we'd be distracted by all these things that, that, that don't matter. Father, there, if there are those here who don't have a new heart, Father, draw them today, I pray. And Father, for those who do, I pray that you would help us to not be distracted by the enemy, distracted by this world. Father, help us to do what it takes to dwell upon the word of God and not the devices and the schemes of men. Father, for it's a people who love you, Father, whom you will use. Father, we pray that you would draw us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to ask the elders if they would come.